0: Alright, we are in the final week, struggling to follow Jesus. Again, this series is all about, um, uh, folks who, who say they, 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 they're Christians, they believe in God, but they know their life really doesn't look like a follower's life because they just really haven't jumped in. And there are barriers in their ways, and one of the greatest ones probably is anxiety and worry. And I want to read you a, a short poem. This poem has probably been read multiple millions of times right many of you might not have heard this but i want to tell you right now millions of times this poem has been read will i worry about my present situation my bookie says my odds are next to none but i'd worry if my chances were improving i got ulcers from the worrying i've done and they worry too well I'm worried I may find a four-leaf clover Lord knows I can't sleep if nothing's wrong I'm worried that my troubles might be over takes a worried man to sing a worried song I worry about my tan my skin's all white I ought to go outside but the sun's too darn bright now here's here's the kicker I worry about disease and I worry about the flu and if you got it from me or if I got it from you (laughs) and if I were you I'd worry about that too Well, I worry about big business, and if they tell the truth, and I worry about the commies undermining all our youth. This is obviously a poem written in the early 80s. Keep that in mind. I worry about Afghanistan. I worry about the polls, and if they drop the big one, will we all live in holes? No, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait wait a minute. Ah, never mind, never mind. I was worried that was going to happen. Listen, you don't worry about it. I'll worry about it, right? I'll be up all night anyway. It's all right. (laughs) What else am I going to do? Again, bit dated, early 80s, you know, Afghanistan and and the commies. But I think it fits rather well with our current situation. Um, Maybe a better title today would be uh, Stinkin' Thinkin'. Right? I I was watching uh, some... Kind of gathering information about my message this morning, and I watched a Christian counselor, and he called worry and anxiety, he called it stinking thinking. And I, I just, that's a great, great phrase. I want to give credit to this man. Um, but the fact of the matter is folks really are facing uh, lost jobs, uh, sickness um, and death, uh, displacement, um, upset routines, Um, for people for whom routine is is incredibly, incredibly important. And you take away that routine um, and, and things unravel very, very quickly. In a word, people are facing change, right? And the fear and the worry and the anxiety that change creates in people probably creates more stinking thinking than just about all of our other worries and anxieties put together. The Peanuts Gang makes clear the end result of worry and anxiety Right. Check this out. Worrying won't stop the bad stuff from happening, but it certainly stops you from enjoying the good. Now, in all fairness, you do have options. Snoopy and Woodstock offer this. Uh, stress spelled backwards is desserts. So when you're stressed, eat ice cream, chocolate cake, and sweets. Now, just yesterday I heard about the quarantine 15. Right. So I'm not going to go any deeper into that. You all know what I'm talking about. So you see this slide in your emotional heart screams? Yes! But your physical heart? No, no. Right? At least we, we actually have three other options at least, a couple other options, and, and I'm going to let the Peanuts gang again uh, point this out for us. We can seek psychiatric help. Right, And as we will see, for many situations, that is your best move. And in fact, as Nazarene Church, that is part of our doctrine of divine healing. We believe that the Holy Spirit works through doctors and nurses and the healthcare industry and doctors or scientists and biologists. That is part of our doctrine of divine healing. So um, I'll just say right now at the outset... Um, This is not just a a, a thing that you can get over many times. This is sometimes something that you you do need to see, maybe a psychiatrist or psychologist. Um, I just kind of want to throw that out there. Um, And, of course, there's no end to people's friendly advice, and apparently it's a little bit cheaper than psychiatric help by about three cents, apparently. This was done in 1960. <laughs> Inflation. Um, actually, uh, we're going to be looking at some clinical information because it does line up with Scripture, but it's not explicitly taught in Scripture. Um, it's strange as a pastor, what I found is as I, as I dig into God's Word and as I, as I learn things about the world, it's like the world is discovering 2,000 years later what God already knew and what the writers of Scripture kind of knew. Um, and this is, this, this is a similar situation where the Scripture is so accurate, but they... Um, they don't go into the detail that, that I'm going to present to you from uh, clinic, clinics and, 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 and doctors. Um, so I'm going to throw that out. Um, we're going to have a little bit of friendly advice, right? But more than anything, we're going to lean on Scripture this morning. I hope that's that's okay with everybody. <laughs> Ironically, this might be part of our problem. See, we read passages like this, and I, I, I call them sound bites, scriptural sound bites. Um, you know what sound bites are on social media and on the news. They they sometimes mislead you, right? They, they 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 hook you, and then you believe you know what they're talking about, but it's only a sound bite. It's only a piece of information. These are these are scriptural sound bites, and they're dangerous. They really can uh, they can pull us down if we don't take it into context. The letter to the Philippians says, "Do not be anxious about anything." Matthew, in his gospel, quotes Jesus as saying, "Therefore I tell you, do not worry." And then in his letter to the Romans, Paul says, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. And then you kind of think, well, the opposite of faith is worry. I, I must be sinning all the time. So we read passages like these, these sound bites, and we conclude that, by golly, we do worry a lot. And we are anxious, right, now more than any other time. And if worry is the opposite of faith, <laughs> well, you know where that's leading, and we conclude that we must be doing something wrong, right? We must be doing something bad or maybe something sinful. There must be something spiritually wrong with us or, or, or maybe maybe we go in a different direction. We say, well, there's something wrong with God or there's something wrong with his word because it doesn't add up to my experience. Maybe you're in that boat. Or maybe even worse than all of this, we simply deny that we worry. We simply deny it, right? I'm, I'm concerned about something, right? You ever hear somebody say that? Well, I've got some issues I'm working through. I'm not a worry wart. I've I just got issues I, I'm working through. I have a lot on my mind. Right? Anything to not be labeled a worrywart, right, and by extension, a sinful person. But as we dig into these passages and not just the sound bites, we find amazing grace, we find freedom, and we find that peace that surpasses all understanding, even in our current situation. So I'm very excited. We're going to be looking at chapter 4 of Paul's letter to the Philippians this morning um, because the advice he dispenses is given in an amazingly similar situation that we all find ourselves in um, today uh, with the COVID-19. So starting in chapter 4, verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, bust them out. Philippians 4, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. And just to kind of throw this out real quick, chapters and verses, this is a freebie, chapters and verses weren't actually added to about... 15, 1550s, 1553, 1558, some, somewhere right around in there. Um, so when I say the fourth chapter, Paul didn't write in chapters. I just want to make sure you're all clear. This is a letter. He, he wrote a letter, and then we we chopped it up. Um, so these are Paul's concluding remarks. You get the idea, therefore, right? Concluding remarks in a letter built entirely around a passage that I don't know about you, it's probably the most intense, crystallized Hyper-focused gospel statement in our entire Bibles. It's Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through um, 8. I'm going to read 5 through 8. It goes 5 through 11. Um, But it says this. In your relationships, this is the beginning of this same letter by Paul to the church at Philippi. In your relationships with one another. And this is that part that many of us just kind of skip over, and it becomes this beautiful poem about Jesus. But we can never forget that that opening line is... We're supposed to copy what we're about to read, right? It's all about Jesus, but we're supposed to, in like mind, watch this, in your relationships with one another, keep that in mind, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearances as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So from beginning to end, this letter is commending the church at Philippi for being such a shining example of this kind of love and, and this extent of love. I mean, apparently the, the, the church at Philippi is just filled with these kind of people and they were making their love evident. And I, I want you to remember that phrase because we're going to come back around to that. And that's absolutely crucial if we're going to get over, if we're going to tackle this whole worry and anxiety thing that's stopping us from experiencing Christ the way he wants us to experience him. So, it's my honor this morning to use this particular letter um, in addressing this particular congregation because I see such amazing similarities between the church at Philippi and the Nazarene church here in Richland. Um, so, th- again, this is just an honor for me to present this letter. Back to chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my crown, my joy, and my crown. Stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. And I plead with Eodia and I plead with Sintinki. Twenty different sites, and none of them produce that name the same way. All right, so we're just going to go with S. To be of the same mind in the Lord. See, and this is where we find our commonality and our camaraderie with Paul. Paul has birthed this church, right? He's pastored this church. Um, he loves this church. It's obvious that he, he he loves this church. It's an amazing church. It really is. Um, but he's in Rome, right? He's in chains. Uh, he's, he's, can you say, quarantined, right? He's awaiting Nero to, to appear before Nero, and he's fairly sure he's going to get released. Um, I'll just tell you right now, he doesn't. Um, Nero removes his head from his body. Uh, that's the nicest way I could say that. Um, but at this point, he, he, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He, he's, he, Paul, no matter what his circumstances are, he's always just filled with hope. He's just like this, this crazy, um, optimistic kind of guy, right? Um, so he's, 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 he's in quarantine, and the people that he loves are in trouble. Can anybody relate to this? I've had so many phone calls of people in the hospital, keep people who need visitors. And I know this is... This is incredibly difficult for so many people that we can't, as the church, we can't be there for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is Paul's situation. He can't be there. But he's got a key. He's got a key, right? So trouble's brewing. People he loves need help. Two sisters in Christ are in a quarrel. Right? These are two ladies. Um, but again, Paul's quarantined. Verse 3 says, Yes, and I ask you, my true companion... Now, some of your Bibles, they might have um, loyal yoke fellow, like yoked as in next to a cow, pulling a plow. Um, yes, I ask you, my true companion help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. And I'm going to come back to that, circle back around to that true companion, that loyal yoke fellow in a little bit, but for now I'm going to keep reading um, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Now we read right past that, we jump right past that, but that is a loaded, incredibly loaded statement because we'll see in a moment that folks were attempting to live a normal life with this, this, not a belief, but an absolute conviction that Christ could return at any second. Right? And they're trying to live a normal life, and, Paul's, and they're, they're just they're, they're freaking out just a little bit. right? Just a, just a little bit, right? You know, what if my family doesn't make it? What if I don't make it, right? What if I'm in the shower when he returns? I mean, people are kind of got kind of freaking out just a little bit, just, just a little bit on edge. And, and if there was ever a time um, for Paul uh, to seek permission from God to totally lose it, this would be the time, right? This would be the time where Paul would go, what's up with all this, God? Right, I, I, I gave my whole life to you, and now everything is falling apart. And I'm here in quarantine, and I can't do a thing about it. Here's what he suggests I love this. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I say again, rejoice. Don't worry, be happy. <laughs> Let your gentleness be evident to all. And again, I I want you to focus on that be evident. We're going to circle back around that, around back to that too. Um, Because coupled with the mysterious true companion, to be evident, right, will be absolutely key to you getting over worry and anxiety. So to just kind of tuck that in your back pocket, we're going to whip that out in just a little bit. Um, The message version does a great job of showing us what being evident looks like. This is the message version, Eugene Peterson. Same passage, verses 4 and 5. To celebrate God all day, every day. I mean revel in him, right? Make it clear. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side working with them, not against them. Help them see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up any minute. Again, once again, he's in prison, he's quarantined, loved ones can't be reached in their time of need, and now we have the added element of impending possible doom or disaster. The coming day of the Lord, the Jewish people knew all about this. It was going to be straight nuts, and, and, and I mean, people on edge, right? just a little bit on edge. And Paul's advice, right, don't worry, be happy. Somebody give me a Jamaican beat right there. Um, actually, there's a little bit more to it. Verse 6, this is the passage that we all have trouble with. We get tripped up on. If we take it as a soundbite says, don't be anxious about anything. So what I want to do very quickly here, I kind of want to go into a clinical uh, session here. Um, I want to talk about fear. I want to talk about anxiety. And I want to talk about worry just in a clinical setting. And then we're going to jump back to God's word. And you're going to, the, the, the passage is then going to really jump out at you. What, what Paul is saying, right? So I want to start with fear. Fear is a natural and it's a good thing. More often than not, it's a God given alarm basically to keep us from harm. Right? You stand on the edge of a tall cliff, you should probably, unintentionally, back away. Right? That, that's God saying, look, you get too close to this thing and your life is going to end. Right? We can be afraid of a lot of different things. Heights and death and public speaking and sharks and car accidents and hell. Those are good, those are good things to be afraid of. Second thing about fear is it's usually permanent and, and that's for a good reason. Right? You shouldn't get over your fear of sin. You shouldn't get over your fear of, of heights. Right? Um, some of these things are very, very healthy, keep us safe, right? They're, they're, they're God's intention to keep us safe. Um, and usually they're removable. Usually, again, usually they're removable, right? Stay off high buildings if you're afraid of heights. Bam, problem solved. Um, don't be a daredevil if you're worried about your life, right? Don't speak in public if you're afraid of speaking in public. Don't go into the shark's house if you're afraid of getting eaten by a shark, right? Stay out of the ocean. In fact, God's Word tells us that we don't even need to fear death, right? Because if we've trusted Him, the sting of death, which is that, that fear of punishment, once we face Him, come face to face, that's, that's the sting of death. Otherwise, we could just die and go into a long sleep. Everything would be fine, but that's what makes everybody so afraid of dying is, oh, now then I've got I to meet my Maker, right? But if we've trusted Jesus, then that sting, that fear of punishment has been removed, right? That fear has been removed. And that's just an exciting thing, right? Get an amen from homes. Oh, yes, I can hear them all over the place. So now let's talk about worry. Worry happens in the brain, right? It's a mental activity. It's actually a conscious decision that we make. It's a foolish one, but we make it all the time. Basically, it's, it's pointless. It's pointless thinking, Um, Because it usually involves taking responsibility for things over which we're not responsible or for things over which we have no control, which makes the whole exercise somewhat pointless. Charles Schultz, I'm going to lean on Charles Schultz this morning just a little bit. Charles Schultz put it this way, never stress on what you can't control and never worry about what isn't yours to worry about. Because the third point about worry is worry is all about control. It's about a person who says, I know God is a good God and all, but I've got this situation handled. Or I'd like to handle it my way and not the way. <laughs> not, the, not the way of Christ. Um, in essence, worry really is a control issue. Since we've decided to handle it our way, and since we're not actually responsible for the issue, or we have actually no control over the situation, we settle for the only thing that we're able to do, that we have control over, and that is what? We worry. We, we, we go over and over and over and over and over again because we feel like we're doing something because we really can't do anything else because it's out of our control and it's not our responsibility. So we, we worry, we worry, and we worry, which unfortunately leads us to and results in anxiety, kind of a step, a step deeper, step deeper. I think we're going to go with that. Uh, number one, where worry is a mental activity, anxiety is an emotional response to the mental activity of worrying, right? It takes place, worry takes place in our minds and our brains, but anxiety is an emotional response, um, it, it's an outcome, and, it, and it, it, it responds through the body, right? Worry is up here, but anxiety happens through here, and, and you'll, you'll see it evidenced as high blood pressure, stress attacks, I mean, all sorts of issues, um, addictions, uh, all these kind of things. Um, it, it becomes just this incredible uh, a problem, right? And again, this is very important because it's an emotional response and not a, a conscious thinking that the conscious worrying led to it. But I just want to, I want to not suggest, but I want to tell you, don't shame people who are anxious, um, you, you, they, they can't stop the bodily response. In order to stop that bodily response would mean that they need to go back and have their minds transformed, and we're going to look at how that happens um, this morning. Um, but to bag on a person or to shame them uh, for what they're feeling bodily is, is just pointless, and you probably shouldn't do that. Uh, attach that statement, the psychiatrist that I, I kind of conferred with. Um, if you are anxious and you can't sleep and it's been going on for six months, it's time to see a doctor. I'll, we'll just say that. Um, can't hurt. Probably will help. Right. The second thing about anxiety, it's usually unhealthy. Not all the time. Some anxieties are healthy. If you're anxious about losing your job... Make sure you're there on time, right? Make sure you stay till the last minute. Make sure you're doing your work while you're at work, right? If you're anxious about your health, eat healthy. My wife tells me that all the time. Eat healthy and exercise, stretch, do all these kinds. There's things that you can do to lessen the worry and the anxiety. There's things that you can do. But normally, the anxieties are incredibly unhealthy. The fact of the matter is, if you can picture this, the worried mind leads to the, the anxious, sick body, Right? The worried mind leads to a sick body. It just, it just happens. That's our biology. Um, and as an emotional response, this is actually crucial here. We need other people to gain a key remedy to anxiety, and that is perspective. Right? Perspective. And this is true in grief. This is true in so many relational situations. Right? We get well in community, but we get sick in isolation. See, we need to recognize and own the fact that with COVID-19, this bad situation has been made quite a bit worse. With pre-COVID, you know, you were rubbing shoulders with the rest of the church and with your neighbors and you, and you, and you found out that your problem, um, everyone else was having that same problem. So you had been thinking you were the only one and you were letting it get all out of proportion, all out of perspective. And then you find out everybody else is dealing with the same thing and it kind of let you relax just a little bit. See, this is what, what when, we, when we rub shoulders with other people, we, we gain perspective. We recognize that our problems usually aren't that big. Um, and our, our, our little things that we're ignoring, maybe we should pay attention to, right? We, we get perspective. And that, that, that's so important um, to, to, to get healthy again, um, to, to kind of compare. Our, and I know we were always told don't compare. But the fact of the matter is when we live in community, it informs us about our wellness and our illness. So pre-COVID, we're like, it's like we're on the mountaintop, right? We can see all around and we have perspective, but with this COVID situation, we're all stuck in our houses. It's almost like being in the valley, like the valley of the shadow of death. And, and you can't see anything when you're deep down in the valley, right? You can just see walls. We get sick in isolation. Every worry and every anxiety just multiply by 100, right? Because you can't, you can't talk to anybody and everything gets blown way, way, way out of proportion. So back to Paul's advice that we now see is so brilliant and spot on over 2,000 years ago. This is cool. I just love doing this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, the first thing is to do what's wise, right? And this is what Paul is doing. And it's interesting that he gives us something to do, right? And tell, instead of telling us what not to do, like he's read right into the worrying, anxious mind and, and, and sees that you need something to do. And I'm going to give you something powerful to do. I'm not going to just send you spinning your wheels. I'm going to give you something powerful and effective, right? I'm going to, I'm going to have you pray. I'm going to have you turn your problems. I'm, I'm going to, just like I would talk to you and you all, you rub shoulders. When you begin to rub shoulders with God, guess what you gain? You gain perspective. You find out that you're not all that, but you're, you're not all that either. Right? You're, you're okay because you trust him. I guess that's the only way I can, I can put that. So you notice, again, Paul doesn't say, stop stressing. Just get over it. Don't you trust God. That, that's shaming. And, and that's just, that's just kind of dumb. Right? So he says, I'm going to give you something to do. Bring your concerns to God in prayer. But don't let it in there. Don't just bring your, your concerns and, and, and things like that. Uh, You notice what I highlighted with Thanksgiving. I I promise you, if you start your prayers and you never get around to Thanksgiving, um, your prayers are gonna be kind of, they're gonna become outrageous and kind of silly. But I I guarantee you, if you start your prayer time thanking God for all the wonderful things he's done for you and your family and your friends. My wife and I have been doing this a lot since moving up here, man, I I tell you what. Um, All of our other problems, just like, they slide away. It's the weirdest thing. It's just... It's like he takes the load on his shoulders with thanksgiving. Um, but it can't end there either. See, some folks believe that faith is doing nothing in order to let God do everything. Right? You, you might have heard that. Don't, you know, wait on the Lord. And people will take that to extreme to mean I'm going to pray and I'm not going to lift a finger. Right? I'm not going to do a thing. One pastor, he asked an out-of-work friend, well, have you been looking for a job? His friend said, nope. Well, do you have a resume? Nope. Are you networking? Nope. Well, what are you doing? Well, I'm I'm sitting here at home trying not to freak out, right? Waiting for God to bring me a job. Getting the idea here. Single friend waiting for a wife. Have you left the house? Nope. Have you talked to the opposite sex? Nope. Well, what are you doing? Well, I'm waiting for God to bring her to my front door. Keep waiting, Mr. Lucky. <laughs> Proverbs 9:12 says this, if you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. And if you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Another version has it, if you mock the world, the world will mock you. Take the world seriously, right? Be on your knees, but then get back up on your hands and feet, right? in other words do wise things don't do nothing and expect god to do everything that is the perfect recipe for worry and anxiety in spades as you're waiting and waiting and waiting and he's waiting for you to take a step so that he can begin to work with you craziest thing if you need a job make some phone calls iron your shirt right don't wear flip-flops to the interview i did that when i was 15 years old the guy pointed it out i never did that again (laughs) i promise you never don't do that don't wear flip-flops to an interview If you want a date, shower, brush your teeth, use deodorant, mouthwash, right? Put on nice clothes, get out of the house, ask your friends to introduce you around, you know, be nice. Don't stalk people. You know, that's probably not the best idea. And then in verse 8, the second key to dealing with anxiety. Listen to this. Verse 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy... Think about these things. But this is where our minds go, right? What if my spouse dies? What if I lose my job, right? What if I get cancer? In our minds, they begin to wander into this kind of territory. God's calling us not only to pray, but to call these things out for what they are. These are fears. These are irrational fears. I call them irrational because, again, we don't have responsibility or control over them. I can't stop cancer. I can't do that. So if I worry about that, I'm spinning my wheels. I'm not doing anything helpful. Nothing is going to change by me worrying about my family getting cancer. These questions, these fears are not of God, and they're based, again, on an irrational fear because none of these things are in our control. So we take captive every runaway, and, that, and that's really what they are, right? These, these runaway thoughts, and we make it obedient to Christ. And slowly our minds, they, 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 they change from a fear-based thinking to a faith-based thinking. It just, it just kind of slowly, it takes a little bit of time. But the more we consciously do this, take this advice from Paul, do these things, these wise things, our thinking changes. It really, it really does. They change. And then the result of doing right things and thinking on beautiful right things, we have the result. And it sits quietly between verses 6 and 8, it says this, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. And again, this doesn't mean um, that it's so difficult to understand that we can never wrap our minds around it, although that might—that actually is part of it, because <laughs> we can't. Uh, but really what this passage is saying is that all of our efforts, as much as we think that we can do this kind of thing, um, we can't reproduce the peace of God under our own efforts. We simply can't do it. The peace that we get will surpass all of our skills, all of our knowledge, all of our tricks, all of our, all of that. Only God can do this kind of thing. The fact of the matter is, this is the very same impulse, this, this attempt to produce the peace of God on our own that led Matthew to speak in chapter 6. That, that passage that we looked at says this, chapter 6, Verse 25. Remember, we looked at this, this by, therefore, I tell you, do not worry. Well, let's read the rest of the passage. It says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. And that word life, suchi, is a Greek word that does not mean your physical life, like you're hungry or you're in poverty or you're poor. It's talking about your, your reputation, your whole life, your relational life, your everything life, not only your physical Right? If you're, um, don't worry about all that other stuff, what you'll eat, drink, or what about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? These people were confusing their need for an inward image of God, for an, I guess, an outward image for the cameras, right? Am I pretty? This is what they were worried about. They weren't worried that they didn't have enough. Like they were, again, where they were in poverty, but they were, they were, people were working around God. They were storing up treasures in the wrong place. Read the entire chapter. It's not about poverty. It's not about being poor. It's about who, who are you trusting in your life? Where are you pouring your treasure into? Where are you storing your treasures? In the kingdom of God or the, the kingdom of you? In a nutshell, again the letter to the Philippians, an entire letter written to commend a congregation for acting like Jesus. That's what it was. And I want to encourage you, go home today, this evening, read the whole letter. It's a short read, four chapters. It's called a joyous letter for a reason. So if you're filled with worry and anxiety, you maybe ought to read this letter every day. Just, just make it a habit until we're out of our houses, right? Now, again, it's easy to miss this. But part of the reason that Paul so effortly effortlessly encourages the Philippians not to be anxious about everything is because of the nature of the church at Philippi, right? He, he trusts Christ, but it's also the people that have reduced his worry and his anxiety. Listen to this. Verse 3, it says, yes, and I'm going to go back here now. We had this earlier. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, right? Now, again, you don't find these sentiments in, in either letter to the, to the church at Corinth, Right? They were not a lovely church. They were a pain in his side from beginning to end. Um, this church at Philippi was really kind of special. It was a, a Roman town. It had been peopled by Roman soldiers. Um, and those soldiers hadn't let up on persecution. Right? They were hyper-loyal to Caesar, which was Nero at this point. And so they were still facing intense, intense persecution, right? not lightly, not name-calling. Right? They were being jailed, and they were being tortured. It was a, it was a big, big deal. Now, Paul had clearly placed his life and valuation of his life in the life and hands of Christ. But like the rest of us, uh, Jesus with blood and, and flesh and bones uh, really can make all the difference in the world. So Paul can encourage rather than harangue the Philippi church and not worry and be anxious of himself. And it's all because of <sighs> Syzagus. Hit that next slide there. Some of your passages, some of your translations will have this word. Um, some of your, again, will have yoke fellow. Um, let me read you this. This is actually the word in the original, in a lot of the original manuscripts. It says, I am Syzagus. Have you ever thought about your name and wondered how it shaped you or influenced you as a person? I have. My name is Syzagus. It's Greek. There really isn't a good English translation, but yoke fellow comes pretty close. It's a bit an embarrassing name, actually, because it is a reference to oxen in a yoke. I have no idea what my parents were thinking. But today, looking back on my life, I'm glad they named me Syzagus. When I think about how God worked in my life, it fits. I suppose it refers to a co-laborer wearing the same yoke as you, pulling along with you. And if there's any truth to the old adage that names do reflect something about us, then I'm a true friend who has walked along with you during good times and bad times never leaving your side. I'm a person who has been coupled with you through difficult service together. I have grown to trust you, and you have grown to trust me. I'm your yoke fellow. I suppose I was not surprised then when Paul called me out in his letter to my church at Philippi. I had been yoked with him in ministry and had been yoked with Iudia and Sinchki as well. And I knew them well, and they knew me and trusted me. And as much as I did not want this assignment I was exactly the right person to confront them about their disagreement. In his wisdom, Paul knew that. I suspect Paul also knew that all of us in the church were a bit perplexed about what to do with these two sisters. We knew their broken relationship had gotten out of hand. We knew that someone needed to love them enough to confront them about it, but none of us wanted to do it. I suppose we were all hoping that somebody else would step in, or maybe by some miracle Paul himself would be released from prison and he would come and do it. Don't laugh. It's happened before. But there would be no miraculous prison break this time. One of us, or perhaps a few of us, in the church would have to step up and deal with this conflict. Personally, I usually run from it. I really hate conflict. I don't like getting up in other people's businesses. I don't like being perceived as judgmental, and I don't like sticking my nose where it doesn't belong. Frankly, I could probably think of at least a dozen other excuses if you just give me a little bit of time. Bottom line, none of us in the church wanted to do this, but we all knew it needed to be done. Some argued it was for the pastors. That was, that was their job. Others argued it was the elders' job. I was neither. I was just somebody who cared deeply for these two women, which is why Paul knew I was the right person to do this. And after all, if it, if it were me who needed comforting, I would want it to be somebody whom I trusted and whom I knew loved me. Why shouldn't Iodia and Syntyche have the same benefit? So I pray that when you need someone to tell you the truth about yourself, you will have a Syzygous in your life. I pray that when someone you love needs a Syzygous in his or her life, that you will help help him see the truth. You'll step up and be that yoke fellow for him or her. I pray that when God touches you on the shoulder with that assignment like Paul touched me, you will kneel down and pray and then go. I pray that God will use that experience to change your life the way he changed mine. I am Syzagus, and I'm very, very glad for that. So like the church here in Richland, the church at Philippi apparently was filled with Syzoguses. Listen to this. This is chapter 15, verse 15, chapter 4. Moreover, as you Philippians know, Philippines, Philippians, (laughs) Philippians, No, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. And that's only verse 14, excuse me, 15 and 16. From chapter 10 all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 23, Paul just goes on and on and on and on about how amazing the church at Philippi was. He was just, he loved this church and he was just telling them, you guys, you guys are like Jesus. You guys are like Jesus. Make it apparent to everybody. People need this so badly in this time and in this situation, and that is true today too. Paul goes on and on. He wasn't anxious. Not only because of Christ, but because he knew he had a bunch of syzyguses. Lifting him up, right? Calling on him, risking life and limb. Today, when you read through it, read about um, Epaphroditus. He nearly lost his life serving Paul, like a syzygus. In some, be a syzygus. The gift of perspective destroys the illusion of control. Listen, if, and worry and anxiety are functions or outcomes of our desire to control the uncontrollable. And if we all follow the example of Jesus by emptying ourselves for others, then those others don't, those others lose their need to be in control for things that only God can be in control of. And again, this is why Paul was so adamant That the church at Philippi make their love and their, their joyousness and their confidence, their absolute confidence in Jesus. Make it evidence to all because it affects everybody else. As soon as you calm down, everybody else calms down. Every mom in the world knows that. If mom is calm, everybody's calm. If mom is upset, everybody's upset. As Christians, the exact same situation works. We can affect our neighbors we gotta be, We got to make ourselves evident. we gotta be, We got to be Seussiguses, and we 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 just got to shine, right? So on this Memorial Day, as we worship our Savior who emptied himself for our sake, and as we honor those in the body of Christ who continue to empty themselves, and again, we're talking about phone callers, we're talking about health professionals, we're talking about the sound booth guys, we're talking about the musicians, we're talking about so many different people, not just phone callers, but so many people, so let's just add those who also have emptied themselves on the battlefield. I think their name should be added to, to to the letter to the church of Philippi. But because to put on a uniform and to risk ultimate takes a tremendous amount of love. It takes a tremendous amount of emptying of self. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son, who being God became one of us. An ultimate gift, ultimate sacrificial gift. God, you came down. Jesus, thank you. And today, this weekend, tomorrow, um, Again, as we honor those who have given their lives in uniform. Father, I just, I just kind of want to spread this out to all nations, all cultures, all, all ethnicities. Because around the world, people are honoring uh, people who gave sacrificially. So, Father, in the most appropriate manner that we, that we can, Father, we, we honor our fallen heroes. Um, and we honor... At the same time, fallen heroes from nations around the world. Because in heaven, we're going to be side by side. We'll be rubbing shoulders with all nations. So, Father, that we could make that what is heaven. If we could bring that down to earth. And as we worship, that we make very, very clear we're not. We're a church in America, but we're not the American church. We're your church. We're the church of Jesus Christ. Father in our phone calling, even if we're not phone callers, um, let us be Syzyguses. If a name pops up in our head, Father, encourage us, give us the power to make that phone call and, and just to chat and say hi and how you doing. Um, thank you, Father, for, for, for every Syzygus. Here at Richmond Church of the Nazarene, for every Syzygus and in churches around the world, um, that in times of trouble they step up and and in stepping up they lift everybody else up. Father, that we could all do that and that we could follow your example. Your son's name, I pray. Amen.